Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. I just want to say this, first of all, is that John and I both take scripture very seriously. And it is the, it is God inspired and it is 100% infallible word of God. There's no error in this word. But our jobs is to seek to understand it. Not just what it says, but also the intent behind how it was written. And so if we look at the word just in surface and surface value, a lot of times we can miss the, the, the treasure that is in the word and what exactly the writers were trying to communicate. Um, so I want to talk to you about biblical hermeneutics, and I want to tell you about my personal biblical hermeneutics. Oh, thank you. I can see everyone now. There you are. I was like, <laughs> did I put too much eyeshadow on? All right. Um, 2 Timothy says this. It says, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who currently handles the word of truth. So the purpose of biblical hermeneutics is to help us know how to properly interpret, understand, and apply the Bible. It is the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the text of the Bible. Now there are several ways uh, and several methodologies behind hermeneutics. The primary way that we interpret the Bible is literally. We take the word literally for what the word is saying. The second principle that we use when we interpret the Bible is we look at it historically, grammatically, and contextually. So let's take the first. Historically means we seek to understand the culture and the background and the situation that prompted the text. Grammatically requires that we follow the rules of grammar and recognize the nuances in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And the next contextually involves considering the context of a verse when trying to determine its meaning, which means we look at what the whole book is saying. So let's say the writer of Hebrews is making a point. We don't just pull out one particular verse and take it out of context, but we look at what he was saying, he or her, the writer of Hebrews, whatever it is that that writer is saying, and we look at the whole book. The whole letter, we look at, we read the whole letter, we look at the whole chapter. What is it that he's trying to convey? Who's he talking to? What does he mean when he's talking? What kind of principle is he trying to communicate? So we must look at these, um, and the purpose of hermeneutics is to protect us from misapplying the um, scripture or allowing bias to color our understanding or of the truth. In the Pauline letters, there are both universal principles that are timeless. Pauline letters. How many of you know what Pauline letters are? It's the letters that Paul wrote, okay? So in the Pauline letters, there are two different things he dealt with. He dealt a lot with situations that were happening in that church, in that age, and in that culture. He was trying to bring order to a very immature and and baby church. And so he's he's writing letters and he's saying, listen, this right here is happening within your midst. Therefore, I need to speak to that circumstantial issue, which a lot of times when he did that, we can glean a universal principle from it. And then there are other times when Paul flat out says, you know, this is for all of the ages, okay? And so we want to study the word and make sure we know what we're dealing with. In the case of women in the church leadership, Paul's actions and the biblical accounts of women in leadership differs from one scripture in the whole Bible that says that they should not teach or have authority over man. 
So we have to ask ourselves, if Paul is doing one thing, and then in this one particular scripture, he actually says another, we have to say, what exactly is going on, and what was Paul addressing when he spoke about women in the church and their behavior? Because um, let me just uh, tell you, well, let me just back up here and for a minute, let me hit pause here. Um, we started Storehouse Church, John and I started Storehouse Church, and we started it um, as originally as a house of prayer. We have our blessing of Terry Moore, who is the pastor of Sojourn Church, who has been pastoring for well over uh, almost 30, 40 years. I can't remember the exact number, but... We have been, I have been, both John and I have been ordained by Jason Hooper at Kingsway Church in Birmingham, Alabama, who is a dear friend of ours, walks in authority and power, very apostolic. We have a board of elders that we are submitted to, that I am submitted to, and um I am also submitted to my husband. I have the covering of my husband, not just as a preacher of the gospel and, and as a leader in this church, but I also have his covering as my husband and, and as a wife. I am submitted to his, his covering, to his prayers, um, to his safekeeping. He guards me well and he helps me to grow, as should be the job description for every husband. Right? Okay. Just wanted to say that. We at, at Storehouse believe that women as well as men are image bearers, image bearers of God, and that um, our gifts or callings are from God and we're graced to function in the fivefold ministry. When Paul talked about the fivefold ministry, he didn't say, hey, this is for guys. He said that it is for the church. How many of you are in the church? Raise your hands. Men and women. All right. Hallelujah. I believe that both men and women are joint heirs with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, bringing heaven to the earth. I see the role of women being that of a Proverbs 31 woman. I stand before you not as a feminist, but as a biblical role model in the church in order to bring glory to God. I have kindness on my lips. I, I, I honor my husband in the gate. I am an entrepreneur. John and I have three businesses. I help him in his businesses. He helps me in the church. We co-labor together to see that Christ is glorified through everything that we do. Amen? We raise our children under the stewardship of the word of God and we are in the word day and night night and day I am a mother to many men and pastors in this city they come to me time and time again for wisdom for prophecy for prayers and so that doesn't end because I I am of the female gender all right Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through 29. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you all, say all, are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all, say all, have been united with Christ in the baptism in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, for you all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. All right, so he dealt with three things here in the book of Galatians. Paul is writing to them, and he said there's three categories of believers that are beneficiaries of this promise. He talked to the Jew and the Gentile, and he said this, both get the Spirit and both are equal before God. 
So God doesn't look at the Gentiles and say, uh, okay, wait, you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew, your mother is not Jewish, it's not, okay, there's not blood, there's not the DNA, therefore you get an actual lesser version of the Holy Spirit than, than the original, the Jews, right? Does God say that? No, but he says you are both co, uh, co-laborers, you are both heirs of this promise. You are both heirs of the promise, the full promise. Not anymore, not any less. The, even though we're grafted in, we're not the original olive tree, we're grafted in, but we are no less heirs, we no less bring heaven to the earth. Amen? And so when the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit, you know that these Jewish men are sitting around there going, Okay, what just happened? Because something just changed. Something just happened. We don't know what's going on. These guys are, 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 are speaking in tongues. They obviously got the Holy Spirit. And they're all looking at Peter going, what did you do? And he's like, I don't know. I saw the sheet come down and I had this vision and then, then all of a sudden the, you know, the Holy Spirit came and I prayed for them and they were baptized and praise the Lord. Now, they looked at that, and even though they didn't understand what was happening, they said, we're not going to touch this. They're obviously filled with the Holy Spirit. They obviously got the Spirit, and so therefore, we're just not going to place heavy burdens on them, and we're going to go on down the road. And it wasn't until Paul started speaking years later did he get understanding of of the Word, and he began to talk about the Gentiles and the revelation from the Old Testament. And so, again... They used heaven's wisdom when they didn't understand earthly wisdom. Amen? So then we have to move on to the second case that he's talking about in Galatians, which is the slaves and the freemen. Both get the spirit. Both are equal before God. This is an incredible statement since Paul talks at length in his letters about slavery and how slaves are to behave with their masters. So he's dealing with something that's active in a culture and telling these slaves to submit themselves to their masters. Okay, well, you fast forward to 1861. What happens? The abolition movement happens. And you have both sides of the church that are arguing about slavery. They use the word of God. Some of them are saying, no, 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 it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. They talk about in the Bible about slaves. Therefore, slaves are are God's intention for us to live. And then you've got on the other side, they're saying, no, 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 God, it is for freedom that we have been set free. And there is actually a higher level of the law of love that is at work here. Therefore, every man should be free. Right? An example of this about 100 years ago, even though we have had, you know, even though the, the slaves have been set free, 100 years ago, there was this guy named William Seymour. Black men and women were not allowed in the church in the South. And so this man, William Seymour, had to sit outside of the church Right outside of the front door, he had a chair, and he would lean in to listen to the Word of God. And then he takes a trip, and he moves to Los Angeles, to Azusa Street, where he begins to pray with a small group of elderly women, don't you know? And lo and behold, the Holy Spirit and fire falls on them, and they get tongues again. The Holy Spirit falls, and the gifts of the Spirit break back into the church and it is called the Pentecostal movement. Now here is a man who was not allowed in a church because of his color, because of his race. And that was the way it was for a very long time. Is that because you were a particular race, you were seen as not being the same and not being equal. But we know today that that actually is not true. Amen? Because both slave men and free men equally get the spirit. 
The third area that, he, that Paul is talking about in Galatians is male and female both get the spirit and are both equal before God. Now, a hundred years ago, we had this little thing called the suffrage movement. And most women in here, you don't even know this, especially the young women. You're like, what? What do you mean women couldn't vote? That's right. Like a hundred years ago, women were not allowed to vote in America. Isn't that just incredible? Why? Why would they keep women from voting? Cultural, but also there was a long-standing, uh, like 3,000-year-old um, idea that women just weren't as bright as men. They just didn't have the mental capacity or fortitude to be able to keep up with the mind of a man. And I'm not kidding you. And today we think to ourselves, how could that possibly be? But in fact, that was the condition of the, don't worry, honey, I'm going to vote. You don't need to actually have a voice. I'm going to do it for us. And you know what I'm saying? And look, again, I am not a feminist, but that's exactly what was happening. And that has been the condition for thousands of years between the two genders. So it has been settled that both people of color and women have the same intellectual capacity as men to be educated, to lead, and to build. Amen? So today, we're going to review two letters, one in 1 Corinthians and the other in 1 Timothy, that Paul writes addressing women, telling them to, number one, be silent in church. Number two, do not teach or have authority over men. Number three, do not wear jewelry or braid your hair. Number four, do not wear a veil or head, uh, wear a veil or head covering while praying or prophesying. And number five, submit to your husbands. Um, hopefully we'll get to the submit to your husbands because I want to, I want to make sure that, um, I don't go over. Um, all right, so let's talk about in the Pauline letters, in Corinthians and the Timothy letters, Paul is addressing the condition of the church. So in, the, in, in Corinth and in Ephesus, you have a situation where you have a lot of idolatry. You have a lot of pagan worship. In Ephesus, they had a huge temple to Artemis. Um, a, a, a goddess, which, um, which a lot of Ephesus they really associated wealth and prosperity with this kind of worship, this kind of temple worship. And so, you know, you're trying to build this fledgling church in the midst of all of this, all of this corruption, everything that's going on. It's kind of like if we were trying to start Christianity today in like San Francisco, you know, there would be a lot more that you would have to deal with. And Paul's number one goal was to keep the leaven out of the doctrine of the church. And so he's guarding, trying to safe, uh, safe keep the doctrine of the church to make sure that the church can get up and get moving. And there's enough people who are educated with the truth of the gospel. Because there is no Bible. You know, there is no, there's the Old Testament which you can read if you go to the synagogue, but there is no book of Acts. And so Paul is writing these letters. When he's writing these letters, he's not writing a book. He has no clue that one day God will use these letters in, and put it in a book to help us and to, and to give us wisdom and to, and to help us have order in the churches. Amen? So, um, so in these letters, Paul addresses the behavior of women and the relational interaction between men and women in the church. Um, uh, let's start in Romans chapter 16. So you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We've been going through um, the book of Romans. Matthew's been doing a brilliant job. Just enjoying it so much. And he'll be picking up on that again next week. Um, all right. So Romans uh, 16 is very interesting because Paul is uh, doing something very interesting here. He is um, commending some of his fellow workers. And he actually talks about these fellow workers and he associates titles with them. So let's start in the first. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is also a servant of the church in Censorea. 
that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. All right, this word servant, when he says she is a servant of the church in Censorea, that word servant is diakonos. It is a Christian teacher and pastor. Basically or technically, it's a deacon. Okay, hallelujah. This same word is used to describe Paul and Timothy in terms of their leadership. And then he describes her as being a helper. The word helper means one that is set over others. All right, so you have Phoebe. She is the first person that he commends in a long list of both men and women. He mentions a woman first. And he says she is a servant, meaning that that just like that's the same word that he uses when he describes himself, Paul, and when he describes Timothy, he uses the very same word. Now, there are other words that you can use for servant, but he uses this word, diakonos, in order to say that there is authority associated with her, and it also refers to deacons in the church. So, we can look at Phoebe. The next person that we can look at, as he goes down and he says this in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. All right, so he's talking about these two. It's a husband and wife team. This husband and wife team you see all throughout the book of Acts. They traveled with Paul. They knew Paul intimately. They helped Paul. And the word that he uses here for fellow workers, again, is the same word that he uses to describe Paul's relationship with Timothy, Mark, Luke, and Titus. So he is saying about Priscilla, who in in the book of Acts brings Correction to a man who uh, is is uh, uh, not quite getting a full uh, picture of the gospel, and so Priscilla is there teaching him and training him and correcting him about the accurate way or the way of the gospel more accurately. Now you have to understand what that looks like because culturally women were thought of as property. So, so this is incredible, these statements that Paul is making about women, and he is saying to them, greet these women, accept these women, receive these women, not just as women, but receive Phoebe as a deacon, receive Priscilla as a fellow worker, and then he goes down in verse 7 and says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So you've got a man and a woman here. And it says, my kinsmen. Um, now, what they do in, in the, grammatically, let's talk about grammar. You're going to use, uh, when you're talking about a man and a woman in a sentence, you're going to use um, a masculine form of kinsmen or countrymen in order to describe both the man and the woman. Do you understand that? Grammar 101, right? All right. So he's saying Junia is an apostle. Well, let's just look at this for a minute. Junia is a, an apostle, and the description of apostles by Paul in 1 Timothy 2.7 is this, speaking the truth in Christ as a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. In 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, an apostle has perseverance in signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. I mean, what do you do with that? In the Old Testament, before Jesus, you got Deborah. Man, what do you do with Deborah? I've heard it said several times, well, God used Deborah because he couldn't find a man. And I'm like, really? I'm sure Gideon was around somewhere, hiding under a bush or shaking in his boots. I mean, come on, guys. Let's be intellectually honest here. He used and called Deborah because he used and called Deborah. He didn't go, oh, hey, you're a girl. 
the God of the universe chose and called this woman and she answered the call of God and she was a judge, which meant she was the leader of the nation of Israel. She decided she brought judgment. She sat at the, at the tree at the gate of the city and people would come to her to solve issues. I mean, incredible to me. Also, she happened to win a major battle. And so she ended up saving the nation of Israel. Okay, the other heroine in our story is, of course, Esther. I mean, let's look at Esther. First of all, let's all, who has been on, on Esther fast? Okay, no food or water for three days. Can we all just appreciate this woman? I mean, hello. She's a Jewish queen who saved the Jewish people and then was given, the, along with Mordecai, the king's signet ring. So she wrote laws and declarations and edicts to save the Jewish people. I mean, amazing. There is still to this day a feast that is named after her, the Feast of Purim. They have not forgotten the bravery and the courage on this woman, the leadership on this woman. I am telling you, there are women in the body of Christ today who have the same level and calling as some of these women that I've mentioned. They have the same level of courage and bravery. They study the word of God. They're still serious. And these are some of them that you know. I mean, they're, they're everywhere in the church. But let me just mention some of the ones you would know. Beth Moore. I mean, Beth Moore, come on. I mean, that woman knows the word of God and teaches the word of God with so much grace and beauty. Cindy Jacobs, Patricia King, Mariah Woodworth Edder, Catherine Coleman, Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker has planted what? I don't know. Gosh, 9,000 churches. I mean, try to keep up with her on a good day. Paul is, so, so let's just look at what Paul is doing. Okay. Paul's writing these letters to, uh, to Timothy in 1st Timothy in the city of Ephesus. He's also writing uh, in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthian, about the Corinthian people. All right, so he's saying, look, there's sexual immorality. There's, I'm going to talk to you about lawsuits. I'm going to talk to you about how to, food. I'm going to talk to you about communion. I'm going to talk to you about alcohol and prophecy and tongues and spiritual gifts. Now, when this Holy Spirit hit the church, I mean, you can imagine, guys, come on. It looked like nothing that they had ever seen. I mean, everybody's praying in tongues. Everybody's prophesying. Everybody's got a word. And there is a lot of activity going on. You know, it's kind of like storehouse. So he says this, let's turn there. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Let's turn there. Now I'm going to read this first part in the ESV, which I believe um, is, gives us a really uh, good interpretation. He says this, uh, verse 29 Chapter 14, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So in verse 31, he says this, for you can all say all prophesy one by one so that all can learn. Okay, so if somebody is learning, somebody is teaching, right? So the prophecy is actually helping to edify and encourage and build up the church, both men and women, so that they can learn. Now again, this is not available. Okay, so I want you to turn back to chapter 11, verse 5. It says this, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Okay, now, here's what I want you to get out of this. Every woman who prays or prophesies. So if we have women praying and prophesying, and then he says in 1 Corinthians 14, if you all prophesy so that everybody can learn, then we would presume that these women are prophesying and men are learning, right? I mean, I, I'm not an expert in deductive reasoning, but I would say that that sounds right to me. 
All right, so let's move on. So Paul is saying that women can and do pray and prophesy for the purpose of teaching. So then Paul addresses more disorder in the church. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and let's start in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Okay, here we go. We're going to go on the hermeneutics train. You ready? All right, so... This word has to be, first of all, we have to look at this literally. Paul is obviously bringing correction to what's happening there in the Corinth church. And he's obviously bringing that correction to the women. Because something that the women are doing is bringing disorder to the church. Because he said that we need to have churches that are not confused, but that we need to have churches that are in order and are of peace. Amen? All right. So Paul's letter is clear in telling the church in Corinth to tell their women to be silent. But they, uh, because there are women that are creating chaos. So we have, to, we have to conclude that these women are creating chaos. Right? Okay. Now, in Roman and Greek and Judeo cultures, their tradition was to ask questions during a service. It's not like what we do today. I'm up here teaching, you're there receiving. But back in those days, as it was in the synagogues, as it was in the Roman and if you if you look at any of the movies or or whatever about about what was happening in the area of um of the government in Rome where you had the governors and they would all be um, pontificating, they would all, because they, most of them were studied in philosophy and the law, right? Well, they would be talking and everybody would be talking while they're talking. It's like, it's like, let me give you an example. It's like the parliament in England versus the Congress in the United States. Okay. The Congress in the United States, you have a lawmaker that will come up and bring a, 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 a bill and, and everybody listens to the bill and then they vote on it. It's not that way in England. Everybody is talking at the same time and yelling at the person that's talking. I don't know if anybody has ever seen a, 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 how that goes down, but it's just like, what is happening? Why are they all screaming at the same time? And so it is a very similar situation with the first church. You've got all of these people that are prophesying, all these people that are praying in tongue, and you have some women who are asking questions, all right? So most of the women of that day were uneducated in that culture. Most of them didn't even leave the house a lot. So their level of informed questioning was lacking. So if they did not, if they were not trained in philosophy, if they were not trained in reasoning, which most men, like almost all men were trained in these things, and, and, and the Jewish men were trained in the law. Some women were kind of trained in the law, but not to the degree that the men were trained in the law. Because at the time, they didn't see, they didn't think it was necessary to, to educate women. Because the education that she needed was for homemaking and for raising the children, and these things were passed down from generation to generation. Do you understand? So, so they get in these situations where you've got this home church environment and these women are creating a disruption because it's like having a third grader in a university class setting and she keeps interrupting and, and, and trying to ask questions, but her questions are uneducated. And so Paul makes an interesting statement. He says this, he doesn't tell them not to learn, 
But he says to the husbands, listen, you need to bring them up to the level where they can ask the questions that, and, and bring them up to speed with the rest of the people in the church so that they can ask educational questions or questions that aren't taking the whole place off. It's kind of like, um, um, in, in, in school, you know how you'll have somebody with a learning disability. Well, what they'll do is they'll take that person with a learning disability and they're not saying you can't learn. They're just saying you just have to learn in a different way. And so they take them out of the, the, the whole class so that the whole class can keep going forward and keep covering the subjects adequately. Do I have an amen from the teachers? So, so Paul is not saying don't learn. He's actually saying, I want you to learn, but I, I need you to learn more quietly. Do you understand that? And so he's, he's not telling women that they can't speak. And the word that he used here is that it's shameful for women to speak in church is actually, um, it is the same. And, and Craig Keener says it beautifully, a theologian. He deals with this word, uh, shameful, and I'm going to read it to you. He says this, it was shameful or disgraceful for a woman to interrupt the services with her questions the same way as it was shameful and disgraceful for a woman to have her head uncovered or her hair cropped short. It offended the cultural sensitivities of those of whom the church wanted to reach with the gospel. So, He's trying, Paul is trying to birth Christianity in a culture that, that is not, that, that already has a lot of things in it that he's having to come against in that generation. And it's kind of like to pick and choose your battles. Is this a battle you want to take on in this particular generation? He did not deal with slavery in that generation. He did not deal with the issue of women in that generation. Amen. All right. So he says this, according to the law, well, there actually is no law for silence of women and there is no law actually for submission. So Paul is probably calling upon the law to deal with the common ancient idea of a wife's submission, not their silence. Anyway, in this case, wives submit themselves by following the propriety required of them to maintain church order in that culture. So again, Paul is not saying you cannot learn, but again, he is saying, learn more quietly. Are you guys good? Hang in there with me because I've got a little bit further to go. Okay. I know these are two hour seats, but I'm only about 45 minutes into it. Okay. So we have to ask ourselves a question when we look at this scripture. Is Paul saying that all women in the churches of all time and all cultures are to be silent in church? Both this scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 and the scripture of head coverings are believed to be addressing issues of their culture, tradition, and time. So, there is a universal principle here. The universal principle is that we need to have order in our churches so that the majority of people can glean from the scriptures can get the revelation from what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. They can experience encounter with the Lord, which is why we have to all steward ourselves well and engage in a corporate expression so that all may have the same experience. Okay. All right. So let's move on to first Timothy chapter two. Go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but again, to be in silence. 
This is the only explicit prohibition in the entire Bible against a woman teaching. It would be very surprising if an issue that affected 50% of the body of Christ did not have more um, admonition from Paul regarding it. Can't we agree to that? Okay. Unless this text is addressing a specific historical situation rather than setting forth a universal principle. Now, we just read in Romans about Phoebe, who is a deacon, Priscilla, a fellow worker, and Junia, the apostle. There's obviously a difference between those women and the women that Paul is having to correct. Because you don't see him saying to Phoebe, to be silent, or to Priscilla, or to Junia, or to Lydia. He's not saying that to these women. These are his fellow workers, his co-laborers. These are the leadership. They are part of the leadership of his budding church. So, there's several things that Paul is dealing with here. His main purpose in writing this letter, his young disciple, is in that culture. Again, we have an undereducated women that seem to be providing a network for false teachers. Now, most of you know, if you know the books of Timothy, you know that um, Paul addresses false teachers um, in... Hold on. He addresses false teachers in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy. Um, I believe it's 2 Timothy 3. Here we go. He says this, For of this sort, the false teachers, by the way, who are men, are those who creep into households and take captives, gullible women loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So Paul, again, is talking to the women in Ephesus. He's saying, number one, I need you to learn quietly, and I'm going to forbid you to teach in a manner that has authority over women. I mean, over men. I'm going to refuse to have you. You cannot take authority over a man. And actually, this word authority means you cannot dominate him. You, uh, there, there's no more domination and there's no more rulership. So a man cannot rule over a woman and a woman cannot rule over a man because after the cross, the, the relationship between man and woman became that of mutual submission, not rulership. And, and, and it doesn't say anywhere in the word that women are to obey men they say, it says that women are to be submitted to our husbands, right? Which is why he keeps encouraging them both in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians to be, to listen, you need to go with your husband and your husband, you need to submit yourself to him and he needs to help you out. He needs to bring the water level of your learning up. All right, so let's look at this, though, about these women who were influenced by false teachers in that particular culture. These women were in that congregation. These were widows who were being influenced by these false teachers. Now, again, why do, why do the false teachers, why do, they, um, why do they target these women? Because they're uneducated. And so what they're doing is they're bringing leaven into a church and into a, a, a pure doctrine. And Paul is having to say, stop. You cannot speak. Tell these women in that congregation to be silent. And they, they cannot teach because they don't even know enough doctrine in order to teach men. Accurately. So we have to ask ourselves, is Paul saying, is, is this for women of all time, of all ages, of all culture? Now, I've heard it said by uh, people who are complementarians, and that just means they believe that there is a hierarchy in the church and that women are not at the top and they're not co-laborers and they're not, they're not mutually, sub, uh, there's not mutual submission. They believe that there is a hierarchy and that, 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 that men 
have a role that are that and that role is to rule over women and i mean this in the nicest sense because they're very gracious and god bless them uh, and 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 they very much are are they study the word of god out but they believe that that there are certain things and have said their leadership their leaders in the body of christ they have said well, women can do this and they can't do that. And we're going to let women teach the children and we're going to let women um, um, lead worship. But we're not going to let women do this and we're not going to let women do that. But I want you to think about the application of that worldwide, what that looks like. You have women who have been called by God in the Chinese churches that are, that are birthing churches. You have women in the Middle East, the primary leadership of, of the church in the Middle East are women. And so how do you apply that? It, it, you can't. Either, you know, you have to look at these scriptures and this is either exactly what, what Paul is saying is that it is, it is universal for all time. That women cannot speak in church. They have to be silent. They cannot wear jewelry. They have to wear a head covering. Or Paul is speaking to a situation in those places that are for that culture and for that age. And I believe with my whole heart, having done this now for 20 years and been in this scripture for for. For 20 years, and you guys know me, I don't preach on this. I rarely preach on this. Man, I love preaching about the kingdom. I love healing the sick. I love casting out demons. Let's do that fun stuff. I don't want to have to deal with, let me just tell you why I belong here. I mean, I mean, let me tell you what, I look at this church and I'm telling you, this church is producing good fruit. You can judge a tree by its fruit. Are people getting saved? Yes. Are people being loved? Yes. Are people being transformed? Yes. Are people getting filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Are they being, are they, are, are, are they, are their bodies being healed? Their hearts being healed? Are they finding community and family and love? Yes, yes, yes. I hope. Are we making a difference in this city? Yes. Do we labor with graciousness and kindness? Yes. Try to. So given all of that, we have to ask ourselves, did the Holy Spirit make a mistake when he called me to do this as a woman? Do I have to, do I have to fight to, to, to have to fight to say, I belong here? When in fact, I I left everything to answer this call. I left wealth, John can tell you, I you know, we have labored in this and, and I've had people get up and walk out when they find out that I grabbed this microphone and I begin to teach. They literally will just walk out when in fact, maybe I could have had a word for them. Maybe I could have something I said by the power of the Holy Spirit may have touched their heart and, 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 and it could have benefited them in their lives, you know, but because we're still stuck in, 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 in the year eight, you know, (laughs) but just as it was with slavery and look, I'm not up here going, yeah, emancipation for women. This is not my battle. But I just happen to be a woman doing it. So I just thought it would be helpful to address it and hopefully a way that um, is truthful, I hope. So in conclusion, there are millions of women in the body of Christ who have been called by God into leadership in the church who have not answered the call because of the um, misinterpretation of the scripture, which is just heartbreaking. I mean, I can't imagine. I thank God for John Eckert, who just says, run, baby, run. I'll pray for you. I'll help you. I'll, I'll co-labor with you. But he said, there's obviously you've been graced by God in, and gifted in leadership And I just want to help you get to where God is taking you. And I just, 
I just, that is the highest form of love, guys. Think about that as men in the church. We have been a, 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 a single parent family in the church for 2,000 years. A man can build a house, but a woman makes it a home. And to say that women don't have a voice, you're saying that, 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 that the, the, the feminine version of God who raises, I, I, I mean, I raise children in my home. I have authority over my children in my home. And, and, and he built my house. John builds my house. But I don't know if you've been in the house of a single man. Don't go in. It doesn't smell good. That's funny, but I'm telling you, it's true. But together, men and women, men and women together co-laboring in this, I believe that we will have a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and can truly, truly foster real genuine identity of sons and daughters in the body of Christ if we will raise up men and women in leadership in the church. Amen? So we at Storehouse, we believe that women can be elders. We have women on our board of elders. We have single women on our board of elders. Who really fall under the, 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 the um, description of elders. I mean, who are incredible women. Faithful women. Um, if you're here... This is what I want to do, just in, 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 as we, I wrap this up. If you're here or online and you are a woman and feel called to leadership in the church, I want you to come forward and I want to pray for you. If you feel like that God has called you and if you have a message that you feel like that God has put in you or that you are, want to teach a life group or you want to teach whatever it is, that there, there's something in you that you know that you are connecting with. Or if you're online and, and you feel like you have been called to leadership in the body of Christ, I, we want to pray for you. And I just want to invite you to come forward. Don't be shy.